Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. My name is Josh De La Rosa, and this is our fourth week looking at this question right here. We're looking at the question, is the God that I read about in, in the Word, in the Bible, really the God of the world that we're living in? It's a very important question, and and really, it's is, the, is this the same God that reveals himself in here? Is that really the God who we can trust with our lives? Is this the God that that can speak into even the most complex issues of reality, even the most painful experiences that we'll face in life? Is this the God that we can tell our friends about and confidently believe that he is there and he is at work? And so we've been sort of drilling down on some ideas and asking some several questions over the past several messages. And here's where we've been so far. The first week we looked at the question of, is the God of the Word really the God of the universe? And then we shifted and focused our attention upon is the God of the Word the God who made the human body? Is He the one who who made me? Is He responsible for uh, designing and crafting and forming and fashioning human life? Or are we to just sort of treat this as more of a feel-good story and 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 just maybe allegorize uh, the the story of creation? Uh, we began to really look at that issue, and then then we looked at the question of the mind. Are are we to believe that that like the Bible tells us that we've been made in the image of God? And that he's given us a mind, an intellect, the ability to reason, even to think about him, to think about challenging and complex questions, to problem solve, to understand the world that he's made, to discover and explore, to create, to communicate. These are all things that we're able to do as humans. Sets us apart. And so beyond that even, you know, we talked about our ability to uh, to even share in God's God's plan and purposes that we can join God in the world. You know, we've been looking at these different areas about uh, the God that is revealed in the Bible and trying to really understand, is this the God who is over all this world? Now, the point of this series was to raise some questions to help us all sort of wrestle and grow our understanding, maybe to do some digging both in the Bible and even to do some outside digging to understand uh, what what contrasts to the story of the Bible. I hope this has created some curiosity for you to dig a little deeper in your Bible, to understand, to ask questions. If you're checking things out and you're investigating Christianity, I hope that this has been helpful. You might want to revisit some of the first three messages uh, in, in this series. But we've done this in order to help you make a conclusion. Here's the conclusion. We would want you to conclude that the God of the Word really is the God of the world. That's our hope, that you've been able to make that conclusion. Now, as I've mentioned when we started, we're just going to sort of scratch the surface of these uh, questions and these topics. We're going to try to give a broad overview of the issues and present some of the contrasting ideas that are that are out there. Uh, but here's something that I've been encouraged by as I've walked through this study in this series is this, is that reasonable Christ followers have drawn this conclusion from working within different fields. They've drawn the conclusion, yes, the God of the word really is the God of the world. And these conclusions have been drawn from Christ followers in, and I'm going to highlight some of the fields first, in the field of the natural sciences. There are natural, uh, there are scientists who have, have concluded, yes, this, this God is the one who made the universe. He's the one who made the human body. As they do their research, as they study, as they uh, 
watch what science reveals and what they learn about. Uh, they still there are scientists that make conclusions that that they believe in faith that a creator is still required. They choose faith. Faith is still a part of the equation. Doctor Trevor Gillen he shared that uh, that there's you know that there's basically if Hebrews eleven three it requires faith. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Now that is a faith position to take. You know there's no scientific way to prove that there is a God or that there's not a God. That's that's what scientists conclude. And so you hit this point of you have to make a choice. And he chose faith in God. It's the nature of science to reach conclusions that that something is likely. It's not not proven, but but likely, but also to remain open for that idea to be modified by further experiments. This is what we looked at when we talked about Darwinism, that as different as science continues to reveal more about uh, about uh, when we study uh, life, human life, uh, animal life, as we study records, and as we have actual records that we can study, uh, there is this, we're gaining more understanding of just how complex what has been made really is. So where Darwin made conclusions, science has now created the need to modify many of Darwin's uh, conclusions. And so there's a neo-Darwinian evolution now. Obviously, there's a modification because of what science reveals and what we actually can can conclude from real experimentation. So when it comes to understanding the issue of beginnings, there really are only a certain number of, of systems from which people can actually draw from and in order to attempt to explain the evidence, like how did we really get here? And so here are some of the major options that are out there. Naturalists and atheistic materialists. The, um, a materialist atheist is someone who, who assumes that, that the physical universe and its properties are all that exist and that nothing exists outside of the material world. And this necessarily means that a transcendent a transcendent God or an infinite God, as we've been describing the God of the Bible, you know, this means that a transcendent God just can't exist outside of the material world. Now, that's one option. And that has been, that's not just an option that originated with, with Darwin. You've got to go way further back. Really, the, the Greeks were wrestling over this issue of matter. What is matter? Where did it come from? And so many have just remained there, concluded that all we are is matter. And that even human life is the product of, of natural forces. Again, materialists, this is the view behind natural forces given over many time evolved into uh, the world that we're living in. Uh, and the, the wrestling point for us is you, as you break down the complexity of life, it, it raises questions on how this could have occurred naturally over time. You need an answer for that. But that's one of the options that are out there to explain the origins is the naturalist position. Another option is pantheism. This is a doctrine that just equates God with the forces and the laws of the whole universe. Or this also would involve the worship of all gods or different creeds, cults, or, or peoples, uh, different people groups. Now, this pantheistic view is something that is very, very common. We see it uh, all over the place, there is a there is a desire for spirituality, and we see many many people uh, opening themselves up to the variety of options that are out there for uh, gods that govern 
the universe. So that is another option that is out there to explain the existence of, of all things. Now, a third option, and it's it's a theory that has been proposed by um, by many. It's it's called panspermia. You've probably not become familiar with this term, but you're probably very much aware of this theory. It is imagined all the time through films and through movies. It's crazy how much time and money is spent on this idea that that maybe life came from another planet on the back of a comet, that alien life forms arrived here on a comet, and that from that we evolved. Uh, so that is an explanation that people would would say uh, is is an alternative uh, to Darwinian evolution, and so you can you can check that out. It sounds pretty uh, out there for sure in my mind, but think about the the many movies uh, that promote this idea. A fourth option that's out there is is deism. Deism is the belief that there is a God who who wound everything up but is no longer involved in anything. Deism. He's sort of the God that, that created all things and then just sort of fell asleep and then the world has unraveled and continues to unravel. He's not involved anymore. That's the idea. And then another option that's out there is, is theism, that there's a God person who designed and began things and remains involved in them. This is the belief that Christianity rests upon theism. There's a God who's involved. There's a God who made everything. He began everything. He spoke everything into existence. He created and formed all things out of nothing. And he remains engaged and involved. That's theism. Now, our belief, theism, it explains more data and, and explains better than than really the other systems. There are, there are evidences of exceptional complexity when you study the characteristics of the physical universe, and we looked at that in week one of this series, when you study the physical, the human body, the complexity of the human body, even the basic cell is not very basic, of human nature as well in our mind and thinking. So I want to encourage you to, to go back maybe and, and revisit some of these messages to see the details of this area. But I think the more you study, the more you can be strengthened and gain more confidence to trust God. Now, you can trust even what Jesus what is revealed about Jesus? Look at John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. You can have confidence in that. Later in the book of Colossians, Paul, uh, the, the first century leader, he, he said this when he was writing to the church. Colossians 1, verse 16. Speaking of, speaking of Jesus, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him. All things hold together. So this is the belief in theism. There is a God who created all things and who is holding all things together. Uh, that is a conclusion that many scientists have drawn. There are even, and I mentioned this before, uh, there are even... Uh, atheistic sci scientists who have rejected Darwinian evolution and are looking for another answer. So I want to encourage you to do some deeper study on this. I, I highlighted this before, but uh, for really more detailed argumentation and, and study, you can read The Return of the God Hypothesis by Stephen Meyer. It'd be a real helpful resource uh, to have on hand to just understand some of the different uh, views 
on the origins. So now also another group of reasonable Christ followers who've drawn the same conclusion that the God of the word is the God of the world work within the field of mathematics and engineering. I had some meetings with some different folks, some friends of mine, and, and you know, as we looked at the, the mind last week, you know, as we understand uh, how God has made the human mind, God has given us the amazing ability to reason, to problem solve, uh, on, on a level far above animal life. Uh, God has given us deep understanding and intellect to develop tools, to learn, to discover, to, to process information. I spent a few hours with an engineer and, and a mathematician. And it sort of sounds like the beginning of a joke a little bit, you know, like a pastor and a mathematician and an engineer walk into a bar or a church, you know, to have a discussion. I mean, this sort of sounds like a joke, but I, what I did with the series is I, I, I went and I met with professors. We have a local college nearby, and so I just spent time with men who are part of our church, and I want to talk with them about their thinking in their fields and how they wrestle through this issue of God's existence and origin, the origins of, of the universe, human life, the mind. So, as I spent time on this subject with an engineer and mathematician, uh, I wanted to, I came across a video I think that helps summarize uh, the issue of God and mathematics. And so, uh, I wanted to play this video for you. And so, take a look at this video. It's called God and Mathematics. And, and, uh, and then after that, I'll have just a brief comment. Why does mathematics work? Think about it. Mathematical entities like numbers, sets, and equations are non-physical and abstract. They can't cause anything. Yet, for some reason, the physical universe operates mathematically. As Galileo put it, the book of nature is written in the language of mathematics. Scientists do not use mathematics merely as a convenient way of organizing the data. They believe that mathematical relationships reflect real aspects of the physical world. Science relies on the assumption that we live in an ordered universe that is subject to precise mathematical laws. Thus, the laws of physics are all expressed as mathematical equations. For example, Pythagoras discovered that when a vibrating string is shortened by half, it plays the same note one octave higher. Isaac Newton's observations led to his discovery of the law of gravity, a mathematical relationship expressed as a simple equation that enabled us to enter the space age. Mathematics enabled astronomers to pinpoint the location of a previously undiscovered planet, and James Clerk Maxwell used mathematics to predict the existence of radio waves. Albert Einstein, working with theoretical mathematics developed 50 years earlier, formulated his general theory of relativity, a pillar of modern physics. His calculations were later confirmed during a solar eclipse, when Arthur Eddington observed light from distant stars bending around the sun. Then, Peter Higgs used mathematical equations to predict the existence of an elementary particle. It took 48 years, billions of dollars, and millions of man-hours for experimental scientists to finally detect the Higgs boson. How do we explain the astonishing applicability of math to the physical world? In 1960, the Nobel Prize-winning physicist and mathematician Eugene Wigner published an article that stunned the scientific community entitled The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in the Natural Sciences. Wigner concluded that the effectiveness of mathematics is a miracle. 
which we neither understand nor deserve. Why is mathematics so effective? Philosophers who address this question fall into two camps. Naturalists, who believe that all that exists concretely is space-time and its physical contents. They exclude supernatural causes. And theists, who believe in a god who created the universe. Naturalists cannot provide a reasonable explanation for why mathematics applies to the physical world. It's just a happy coincidence. But this is no explanation at all. At most, naturalists can say that it's not surprising that math applies to the world because the world itself just happens to have a mathematical structure. So, of course, mathematics applies to it. But this explanation is unsatisfactory for two reasons. First, a great deal of mathematics in science cannot be physically realized. For example, imaginary numbers and infinite dimensional spaces. Although these concepts are useful, physical reality cannot possibly have the structure they describe. And second, this answer still doesn't explain why the physical universe has such a stunningly elegant mathematical structure. By contrast, for theists, mathematics works so well in the physical world because God has chosen to create the world according to the plan he had in mind. The first century Jewish philosopher Philo of Alexandria offered this analogy. When a king wants to build a city, a trained architect first designs in his mind a plan of all the parts of the city that are to be completed. Then he begins to construct the city out of stones and timber, looking at the model and ensuring that the material objects are built according to the plan. Mathematics and physics work so well together because the same mind that designed the universe on a mathematical model also built the universe on the same mathematical model. All of this adds up to an argument for the existence of God that goes like this. If God does not exist, the applicability of mathematics is just a happy coincidence. But the applicability of mathematics is not just a happy coincidence. Therefore, God exists. Eugene Wigner was right. The effectiveness of mathematics in the physical world is quite literally a miracle, which is best explained by the existence of God. You know, something I got from my conversation with both uh, professors, so Professor uh, Larry Clement and Professor Lynn Carruthers, you know, both of them concluded that there is no doubt in their mind that there's a God behind it all who can absolutely be trusted. And if you have questions about that, I mean, that, that video right there, it covers a lot of ground. Um, but one of the things that these men shared with me was that many of the theories that the top uh, students and thinkers use are drawn from the work of Christian men. Men who have a deep, firm-seated belief that God created the universe and that he made all things, including humans, and that we were made in God's image. And so you probably have more questions about this. And reach out to us if you'd like to talk more with some of those who are in science or engineering, mathematics. We can put you in touch with folks in our church to talk more about this issue of how could there be and is there an infinitely wise and powerful creator God like we're talking about? Here's what the Bible actually says. Paul, a, a preacher, a missionary, who, who went to spread the message of Jesus all around uh, the, the Roman Empire. He eventually goes to uh, the city of Corinth, which is 
just outside of Athens, Greece. And he was a preacher. He was a missionary. He, he went up to the philosophers of his day. And these philosophers just loved to talk about uh, the origins. They wanted to talk about metaphysical issues, like where did everything come from? And so these Greek philosophers uh, made for interesting conversations. And as Paul interacted in the Greco-Roman world, he, he is interacting with people and their worldview. He, he's, he's interacting with them. And he's presenting something that is very, very uh, unique and different. And it compelled some to choose to explore more, and others, it pushed them away from it. But take a look at what he says, what he wrote to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verse 1 through 9, is he's describing his interactions with people in the world, in that ancient world. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he writes, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I didn't come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. I mean, how would you feel going to present your case in front of philosophers who, who only just sit and think about the deep things? Verse 4, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I mean, when Paul preached to these groups of people, he just had to rely on God's Spirit, helping him know what to say, how to answer, how to reason, how to make sense of God's story to them. Verse 5, he did this so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. He had a real desire to stay so close and so in tune with God's spirit because he wanted to give an accurate account to these to these curious philosophers. Now this, again, this is not in Athens. This is just outside. It's about a 30 minute uh, drive outside of Athens is the city of Corinth. Really close. But Roman or Greco-Roman influence and philosophy impacted this whole region. And so Paul had to bring things very, very clear and rationally to this group. Verse 6, we do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Paul's basically saying, you know, there there are patterns and there is meaning behind the patterns. what, what, What God has... Uh, has communicated to us about himself. God has to open up people's spiritual eyes. There again comes a point where everybody arrives at the edge of of their human reason and intellect, and the message of Jesus Christ, which is a stumbling block for many, and doesn't square up completely with people's preconceived ideas. Paul recognized that. Not every human heart, not every mind, not everybody can recognize the things that God has prepared to walk in for those people that love him. But there are patterns and there is meaning behind the patterns. For example, math. It works everywhere. The question is, why does it work everywhere? Well, it's because behind all of these patterns, there's a God who in his kindness 
has allowed us to know him. He's formed and fashioned us in a way to understand some things, to be able to uh, recognize and, and see the signs of his existence and reason our way to the edge of knowing him. You know, we could get to the point where we say, wow, as I, as I see the laws of math that hold up, this is amazing that this is true. How did this come about? You see, we can reason our way to say there, this is impossible to believe that this all acts, just these laws hold up by chance. Again, we reason our way to God as we just look at the world we're living in. And we can get to the point where we are right at the edge of knowing him. But then we always hit this point, again, that requires faith. The very same thing that Dr. Gillum said about the natural scientists or sciences is the same thing that mathematicians conclude. There's no other explanation. We walk by faith, not by sight. There's, there's a limit we hit in our, in our human reasoning and intellect. Now, another stop on my journey was to investigate with some friends in the social sciences. There are those that are doing people helping, and there are those in, in, in the counseling world, psychology world, and again, reasonable Christ followers who have drawn the same conclusion that, that the God of the Word is, is the God of the world, that He can help people, that His Word can help people. And there are some psychologists who are Christians who recognize that there are limitations uh, within psychology once you take God out of the picture. If you don't have a biblical reference point, if you don't believe that there is a God that's there, and if you don't depend on him and loosen control of your life to begin depending on the God of the Bible, there are just limitations for finding the help that you need just strictly to draw out of other sources like the social sciences. Now, one of the illustrations that, that my friend Dr. Nab gave me was that he said it would be, it would be like trying to, to build a, a thousand piece puzzle and throwing the pieces out on a table. And you've, you've done those puzzles where they're so complicated. There's these strange patterns and it just looks like everything already matches. Well, without having a box top, imagine trying to do a thousand piece, very complicated puzzle without a box top revealing an image of what you're aiming for. That's sort of like what it would be like to, to help people uh, without drawing from uh, knowing the God of the Bible personally, that a person knows and depends on the God of the Bible, and drawing from a foundation, a, a solid biblical foundation. There's just no way you're going to be able to put that life together. There's no way you can establish that puzzle without guidance, without a framework to draw from that you can rely on. He said whenever people in his field try to, to do people helping without a solid biblical foundation and reference point, um, very quickly people can lose their way. This reminded me of, of what we read in John chapter 15 where Jesus said these words, John 15 verses 4 and 5. He taught, Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. So what we see there is there's this important connection to the true vine. As we walk through hard things in life, as we walk through trouble and pain, and difficulty and challenges, and as we even battle different all sorts of emotions, uh, it is essential 
to stay connected to the true vine. That's like being plugged into the power source. So for several centuries, throughout a variety of fields in the Western world, there has been an ongoing debate on this issue of the reality of God, whether or not God exists. And if he does, what kind of God truly exists? And we use a variety of avenues to debate or to try to prove these things. But here's a point I want to make. Most people make their decision to believe or to not believe in God based on the life they wish to live. Essentially, we want permission to do what we want to do in life. And then, once we find a philosophy or a belief structure or a worldview that matches that, that's really what most people are looking for. A prominent example of this is, is a couple quotes from the philosopher Aldous Huxley, who, who frankly, he stated his own choices. Take a look at this quote here. I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. Consequently, assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He's also concerned to prove that there is not valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. Or why his friends should not seize political power and govern in the way that they find most advantageous to themselves. He he wraps that up. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. Here's another quote. Same man, Aldous Huxley. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. The liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from a certain political and economic system and liberation from a certain system of morality. So this is the issue. He's saying, the philosophy that best fit what I was looking for in my lifestyle, that's the one I'm going for. And so he says, we objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. We objected to the political and economic system because it was unjust. The supporters of these systems claimed in some way that they embodied the meaning, a Christian meaning, they insisted, of the world. There was one admirably simple method of confuting these people and at the same time justifying ourselves in our political and erotic revolt. We could deny that the world had any meaning whatsoever. So, like Huxley, many people do not want to admit the existence of the God of the Bible because they want to follow their own desires. You see, our beliefs, they allow or they enable us to get the things in our lives that we really, really want. For this man, Aldous Huxley, he wanted sexual freedom. He wanted political power. And so he assumed there was no God, and he found plenty of reasons why God didn't exist. Now, depending on our goals, we can argue one way or another. Look at John chapter 3. Right after the famous verses that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, we come to John 3, verse 19. It says this, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. You know, isn't that the truth? The desires we have, our heart's desire, it longs for some things that are, that are out of bounds according to God. And so we move towards those evil desires. We're not drawn. We, if we, we realize if we're drawn towards the light, that's going to put us in conflict. Verse 20. 
For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So people can argue for the existence of God. If they're looking to connect with God, you know, you'll, you'll find God. People can also argue for the, you know, against the existence of God. And if that's what they're looking for, they're going to find what they're looking for. And so I've covered a lot in this series, but I believe it is both logically and philosophically reasonable to believe that God exists. He's the God of the universe. He is the God of the world that we're in. But it certainly can be argued against by those who do not want to believe. And the bottom line is this. People end up living out a worldview supported by our philosophy. And this really shows up in a variety of forms, even even in the church culture. You know, many begin in church and never experience God. They never experience him. They they attend for years and years and years, but they never they they never move beyond an attender. It never takes real root in their lives. Now Jesus taught that the only way to really know if God is there is to take the step in faith and trust him with your life. So look at John chapter 7 verse 17. It reads this He said, if anyone wants to do his will, meaning if anyone wants to do God's will, how would you do that? Well, you take a faith step. You commit your life to follow Christ. And then you begin walking with him and living out the ways of God. So if anyone wants to do God's will, it says, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. He said, if a person... The only way a person can verify Jesus' words, he's saying this to people living among him at that time, the only way a person can verify that, that, that Jesus is saying that my words are from God, that I'm from God, is if they set their heart to do God's will. They have to take the step. They won't verify this if they don't have a real experience trusting God. And you know what? Many never take that step. Many people never go all in and actually surrender their life. And so this whole experience... That, that Jesus is talking about, it never fully satisfies. That's why church going enough just doesn't do it for most people. You know, you can feel the, the, the concern about the affairs of the world. You can feel the personal pressure that you're under in your life. You can experience health issues. People that you love can be going through difficulty. And that can drive you to church. But if you never actually have an experience with God personally, you, you won't be able to verify that God is really there and that he's at work. Now, this is very similar to an interesting scene in the movies of the pirate, the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean where you have these pirates who are under a curse. They're they're like these dead cursed pirates and they're cursed because they they stole some gold and that brought a curse upon them. Now it's just a movie, but but track with me for a moment. In the movie, they cannot taste and they cannot, you know, they can't really taste and see just how good the food is or the things that they drink is. And so they're never able to taste it because they're, they're these like dead cursed pirates. They're, they're ghostly figures. And so when you see them in the film drinking, like the, the wine just pours right through them. The food doesn't, it doesn't satisfy them. The food has nowhere to go. It doesn't satisfy them. The only way it would satisfy is if they put the gold back, they made a huge change and then they could be freed from this curse. But in order to be freed from the curse, Again, it would require this drastic change that they, that, that they had to be willing to do. You, you know, a lot of people, they keep their feet firmly planted in midair. 
we never taste and see that the Lord is good. There's many that just never step into the kingdom, both feet all in, and choose to follow God in faith. And because of that, they never see or experience God at work in them. Now, another group in the church are tempted to just sort of compartmentalize belief in Jesus, and eventually they drift. It's tempting to sort of just to do this, to to make church all about Sundays. Well, if God is just the God of Sundays and just for an hour on Sunday, that's not going to make a huge, huge difference in your life if you just compartmentalize this this slice of your life. Eventually, you'll drift away. You know, it's tempting to do that, though. It's tempting to sort of treat God like the owner of a truck stop and a truck stop on a road on a road trip. So, you know, I'm on this long journey. I take a lot of road trips because we have family living in a different part of the state. So we, we go on road trips and we, we sort of love the journey. And we love to stop at a, a few key places along the way, sort of a tradition to stop at a few rest stops, truck stops. And, and we like, you know, we, we can, while we're there, we can get some gasoline so we can head all the way down the road. We get a little food in the tummy. We can get snacks for the car ride. We can use the restroom. We can, we can, uh, get some coffee. And that, you know, that's sort of how a lot of people treat God. I just, I'm just going to stop in on Sunday and I'm going to get what I need so I can get on down the road and I'll catch you later, God. I've got, I've got somewhere to go. I've got a plan. And, I need I need this uh, here and there, but it really is not impacting the rest of my life. You know, if Christ is not Lord, then what it means is I'm still king of the castle. Well, that just doesn't bring enough substance to your faith life, your spiritual life, uh, to really anchor you. And eventually what happens is if that's your pattern, then again, oftentimes people just drift. Another area, people in the church are, are sometimes tempted to worship the world's values. And they get pulled into the world's values and they walk away. There's a man named Demas. Look at what Paul said about Demas. He, he said, make every effort to come to me soon. He's asking a man named Timothy to come visit him while he's in prison. He said, come and visit me because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world. And we don't know the full details, but we can put it together based on some things we read in the Bible. We don't know the full story here of Demas' situation, but it's evident that Demas had one foot in the world and another foot in faith circles. But in the end, Demas decided to, that whatever the world and whatever Satan had to offer in this life must be better than what God offers in the next life. And he loved the world so much that he deserted Paul. He, he deserted his faith. And that's what pleasure does. Pleasure from the world entices us. It pulls us in. And then for years, we can just find ourselves buried under the weight of guilt from past choices, from chasing the world. All sorts of things in the world can pull us in and take us off course, from money and possessions to empty philosophies to to media messages to desire for power to desire for status and image. You know, ultimately, you can build on 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 all sorts of things. But here's the thing. You cannot successfully build a life on two different foundations. Demas couldn't do it, and you can't do it either. Now, the question of who God is is absolutely crucial to explore and to answer. And I, I'm praying that many more of you, especially if you're ready uh, to take a step towards Christ, would do that, even now. Here's what it looks like to become a Christ follower. A Christ follower, just in summary, is someone who, who believes that God made the whole world, including me. That's the, that's an understanding 
A Christ follower is also someone who believes that God made mankind perfect, but then mankind rebelled. A Christ follower is also someone who agrees that, that our sin brought consequences and separated us from God for all eternity. So we're no longer in this close relationship with God, the one who made us. We're broken in fellowship. We have, uh, we have separation. There's a big gap between us and God because of our sin. The Bible says Christ followers believe that, that God bridged the gap, that separation, by sending the Son, Jesus, to die, to pay the penalty for our rebellion. And then Jesus, after he was buried, rose on the third day from death. Christ followers also believe that, that they need to admit that they need Christ's forgiveness. They need their, their sin has put them in opposition to God and that we need God's forgiveness. We have a great need because of our sin. And Christ followers are those who, who turn away from their life of sin, from going their own way. They turn away from that and they begin to move in a new direction. They're tired of and they're done with being in charge and they surrender control to Jesus as Lord. Finally, Christ followers are those who accept the free gift of God's grace. They recognize, I, I can't earn my way to God. I can't bridge the gap on my own effort, my own good works, my own church attendance. The only way I can bridge the gap that exists between me and God is to receive Jesus' uh, Jesus's sacrifice in my place. I accept this free gift of grace. I didn't earn it. God freely gave it. But I do need to receive it. I need to accept it. You know, we'd love to know if that's where you're at. If you're at the point in your journey where you're ready to become a Christ follower, please reach out to us. Let us know. Let us know on online. You can reach out to us by email. You can, if you're watching this live, you can check the digital connection card. Let us know that you've become a Christian. You'd like to talk more about that. We'd love to send you some resources as well. As we wrap up, here's a couple of next steps to consider. First, would you consider choosing to follow Jesus? Again, as the foundation of your life. Maybe that is why you've been watching this whole series, to make that choice for the first time. Second, to talk to someone who can help you answer the questions, maybe your hang-ups even, about Christianity. Third, identify where in your life you operate on the wrong foundation. We've been looking at different views of where people might conclude. Well, identify where in your life where you might be operating and trying to, to build on a couple of different foundations. Maybe it's like, I'm a materialist with my bank account, or I'm a deist at work because I don't think I'll get caught doing wrong because I really don't think God is watching. You know, we could sort of explore all those different nuances, but just think through, where in my life am I operating on a different on a different foundation? And if you found this helpful, I want to invite you to keep coming back and, and checking out a future message series. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for... Uh, using it, Lord, in our lives and speaking to us, helping us to engage with you as we read the Bible, understand uh, the world that you've made, and as we get strengthened in our faith, Lord, as we see the world that you've made and what it reveals about the one who created it. Father, we thank you for the work you're doing in us. I pray for those that have not yet uh, began a relationship, a real relationship with the God of, of this world. Lord, I pray that that would be soon, and I pray you would continue to draw hearts to know you in a very personal way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, one quick update. Two years ago, we launched a church-wide campaign to purchase property and take the necessary steps to develop it. And our campaign, Advanced Horizontal, is coming to a close. At the end of this month, the end of February, uh, we are wrapping up our campaign. And next week, we're going to reveal the total amount that was given in faith. 
it's been so exciting to see what God has done. And so just just uh, letting you know, uh, be tuning in next week, March the 6th, as we as we look at what God has done as a church. And as you're wrapping up and considering giving any last gifts, we just want to say thank you for the sacrifice. We hope that God has been working in you as you have been generous with the resources he has supplied. So many people have given sacrificially. Overall, this has been an extremely unifying effort. And so we just want to say thank you for your generosity. And as we hear stories of God deepening the faith of individuals who have responded and given sacrificially, we would love uh, to collect more of those. And so uh, on the Church Center app, you can share your advanced story. And so please do. Please let us know how God has been working through this season of generosity. Take care. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.